Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. You know, just the, the whole experience, you get up to the tree and you've got this 140, 150 pound tong staring you down and uh, hissing at you. And you, you know, you've never seen one of these things. It's just something about them, you know, how elusive they are. Just, you know, it's really drew me into it. You enjoy sitting there and watching the dogs and watching the puppies get to see it for the first time. And like their light bulb turn on and, and they start trimming. Really the hunt is in that, that lead up to the catch. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out uplandguncompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week, we are headed out west. We're going to be talking mountain lions, and we have Nathan and Ted Winter on the line with us. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Doing really well. How about yourself, Nick? Living the dream as always. I get. I guess there's really nowhere else to start here, but go ahead and introduce yourselves, you know, kind of where you, you guys come from, how you fell into the lion dog world. Okay, so my name is Nathan Winter. Um, we're from Roswell, New Mexico originally, um, and that's where we still live today. I kind of got into lion hunting right at the end of my college years, or kind of in the middle of my college years, I guess. Um, just ended up hooking up uh, with a rancher, southwest New Mexico, that had some lion dogs and uh, kind of went from there. You know, we caught a lion or two, and then I ended up uh, buying one of my own dogs and 
been hooked ever since. Off to the races. And Ted, were, did he just drag you along kicking and screaming? Pretty much. I'm, I'm the younger <laughs> brother. So, <laughs> you know, you do as your older brothers do, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So so you just happened to fall into it with a rancher and then you drug your little brother with you, huh? Yeah, and then he, he kind of came along and, uh, you know, he was super unlucky at first. I mean, I didn't know <laughs> if he'd get the bug or not, but uh, now now with his job, he gets to hunt way more than I do. Yeah, I made it. I made a lifestyle choice. <laughs> there you go. So, so you're the smart one. And then, I think so. I don't know. I'm definitely poorer though. <laughs> Only time will tell on that one. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, go ahead and and tell me what was it about the rancher and the dogs? Like, what snagged you that quick for you to just be like, "Yep, this is something I'm doing." You know, so I'd always hunted everything you could hunt. You know, right in New Mexico, and we got a pretty varied game population here in the state. Um, and you know, I had never really seen a lion had never been around the dogs that much. Um, had always wanted to see a lion, um, had killed plenty of bears, spot and stock and things of that nature. Um, but man, when you catch your first lion, um, you know, there's something just, uh, like awe-inspiring about it. I mean, you know, you just don't see them every day. It's kind of the only way to really see them consistently is to have a good pack of hounds and be able to to catch a few every year. And so he bought a Jag Terrier, not a hound. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely about to go into the, uh, the dogs and the breeds and all that, but I need to hear more about, you know, kind of what you're talking about, kind of romanticizing the the mountain lion experience, because I was telling you before we hit record uh, a few weeks ago that mountain lions, it's, it's on my bucket list. Like I've all, the thing that got me into the hunting dog world were hounds in general, coon hounds more specifically. Uh, and I always have a soft spot for hounds, but there's something about a mountain lion hunt that it's on my bucket list and it's, it's going to happen sooner probably probably rather than later in my and if i have anything to say about it anyway yeah you know kind of like so my first experience really catching lions right was uh in the snow you know so we live here in new mexico and we don't get that much of it and you know it's kind of fun to get up every morning and jump in the truck and and race around and check for tracks and um you know man you just felt like you were out there really uh, beating the bush down, trying to find one of these things. And I remember when I first started off, we'd look at, stop at every track. Cause I had no idea what the hell I was looking for. Um, so you'd stop on elk tracks and you'd stop on deer tracks and you'd, Coyote you'd just tracks. coyotes and <laughs> you'd wonder if you screwed up and missed one. But then that first lion track you see in the snow, I mean, you just can't forget. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it just looks so unique. Um, and then their step pattern is so unique. Once you see one, you, you no, forever <laughs> know what one looks like from that point forward. And then, you know, just the, the whole experience, you get up to the tree and you've got this 140, 150 pound Tom staring you down and, uh, hissing at you. And you, you know, you've never seen one of these things. It's just, a, you know, they're a really impressive animal and, um, just something that, uh, something about them, you know, how elusive they are just, you know, it's really drew me into it. Man, I, I can't wait. Uh, like I need you to 
try and describe to me the first time you walked up on the tree and you saw that 140, <laughs> 150 pound cat just sitting there hissing at you. I know you just said it's hard to put into words, but like, I'm trying to picture it. You know, I, I can put my plate, put myself in other people's shoes quite often on this podcast, but that's something that I can't wait to experience when you have that cat up in a tree and all those hounds baying underneath it. Like it just, it, it's just something that I can't wait to experience. Man, it, it really is kind of unbelievable. Like, like Nate said, the first couple of years that I was going, I was still in high school, so I couldn't really get away from school too often. So like the first couple of years, man, I'd go out every snow all the time and just wouldn't find a track, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it just didn't happen for me. <laughs> like it wasn't like, it just wasn't a thing that I thought even existed by the third year. You know, <laughs> I was like, man, there's no lions in the woods. <laughs> so the first time I walked up on a lion, I was, you know, it'd been three years of looking for lions. <laughs> so, so it took you three years to get your first experience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The first two years, man, we were, skunked man couldn't find a track like didn't turn out on a track <laughs> nothing it was it was rough <laughs> so nathan did you get on a, a mountain line with that first time with the rancher and then you kind of went on this dry spell as you, you guys worked into it and figured it out so we probably had hunted maybe five or six days you know good good condition days for for snow hunters right i mean since then we've uh changed and we hunt a lot of dry ground now mostly um, but it's probably five or six days of hunting real good snow conditions. And there just weren't a lot of lions around, you know, some of the, uh, the ranchers in that area had been really hard on the cats and killed a bunch of them. And, um, you know, they're not just under every bush, like, uh, like a lot of deer hunters in the West believe they are. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you really got to go hunt one and, uh, you know, so it, it it probably took me five times before we caught that first lion. And, um, it was a Tom luckily. And so we were able to, to harvest it. Um, yeah, I caught a bunch of females before I got a Tom. <laughs> so. I got you. So, so Ted, did it take you a couple years to, to get a mountain lion in the, in the tree or did it take yeah, it you took that me many years, three to, years get to get a female mountain lion in a tree? Wow. And it took another couple years before I caught a big Tom. Um, I caught some smaller toms in between. So, so did the dry spell, in your opinion, did that come from just the, the paying your dues, learning how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, or was it really kind of just, it was just kind of a curse, man. Bad luck. I was going <laughs> to say. It was a curse. <laughs> like you just got to break that. Like you got a slump buster, man. You got to, <laughs> you got to break through it. So yeah. <laughs> like, our brother-in-law is currently in one of those. <laughs> He's, he's new to the hounds and he's very unlucky. <laughs> so, it, but again, he's new. So is it more of a learning curve? Do you think? I mean, I know that luck plays a part into it, but I mean, does, does knowledge or anything help with that? Yes. For, you know, for sure. Knowledge <laughs> does, but like some people are just unlucky, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you'll go one day, catch a lion. The next time you go, you know, like for instance, I, I took my wife and when we were dating and we were trying to get her a lion, I don't think we ever even saw a track for the first three years of hunting with her maybe. 
you know, I don't, she probably hunted 20 times before we caught a real big Tom. So you got to be careful. She might be listening to this. Is she the unlucky one or are you the unlucky one? <laughs> she's the unlucky one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because of no mountain lion or because no, she, she's with you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say she married a hound hunter. So you yeah, tell me who's unlucky. <laughs> bad decision maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's get into the hounds, man. Let's talk about it. You know, what, what breed did we go off of? or start off with and what what other kind of round out all the breeds and the type of hounds that people generally use in this sport yeah you know so uh kind of what we started with when i was hunting with that rancher was a mixed up i would just call them a southwest dry ground, dry ground type hound dog they're kind of some red tick some red bones some blue tick um maybe a black and tan mixed in there um kind of whatever hunts um, they would breed together and just take those dogs out. So it's kind of a mixed up group of hounds. Um, he had a few straight walkers as well. Um, you know, and then when I started out on my own, I was, you know, sitting in a dorm room. Um, so I had to find a dog that was, that I thought would be able to trail something, but was small enough you could hide in your dorm room. And so <laughs> I kind of did some research on the internet and I bought one of these little Jag Terriers, um, a little black and tan Terrier that weighs about 25 pounds. Yeah. And that's what I started with. And it was pure luck. You know, the first one that I bought, I bought from this uh, kennel out of Missouri. Um, it was a fly Dax cross uh, Jag Terrier. And it was supposedly known for treeing well. And shoot, I, I took that puppy and I think it was maybe 16, 17 weeks old. And I thought, well, hell, I'll go drive around. It snowed this morning up in the Magdalenas and I'll take this puppy and see if I can find a track and see what it does. I turned this little thing loose and man, it took off and it trailed probably two and a half miles up into this huge set of bluffs. And had, you know, I didn't put a track and collar or anything on it. I just let it go. And man, that thing took off and left me in the dust. I found <laughs> it up in these set of bluffs, bluffed up. And, um, but that's the dog that I started with. And I just got really lucky that dog genetically just, just good. You know, yeah. uh, you put it on a track and man, it would go. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to college, I bought a female jag terrier <laughs> so <laughs> for quite a while that's all we had were just pure jag terriers that we were running lions with and then i don't know we eventually got some full hounds and then currently now we're running a bunch of jag terrier hound crosses of different percentages um all the way from like half jag half hound to eighth yeah one eighth jag terrier is our current generation. So. so the Jag Terriers, that's something I haven't spoken at all on this podcast over the years about. And and for those that are, are listening that maybe are unfamiliar with these dogs, the more I learn about them, the more they fascinate me. They're just neat little dogs. I've, you know, there, there are guys down here that I know that blood trail with them and at a very high level with them. And then obviously, you know, you have all your terrier trials and stuff like that, that they kind of showcase, uh, they're neat little aggressive dogs. Like I don't even, it's hard to describe them. I mean, I know that you just said like a 20, 25 pound, uh, missile essentially, but it's like, I, I'm picturing a lion dog, 
a quote unquote lion dog in a dorm room with you, Nathan. It's it's not it's not really picked. It's not really jiving well with me in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, you do what you got to do if you're if you're into the sport. And you know, I thought one of these big ball and loud noisy hound dogs just wouldn't fit in a dorm room. And so this is what I ended up with. And man, I was just lucky that thing. Um, it caught, caught a lot of lions for me. That's cool. Um, you know, the worst thing about those Jag Terriers is they know no fear. Um, so they're good at catching game. Um, not necessarily good at surviving. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them die pretty young. Well, and that's something that houndsmen contend with and deal with, uh, obviously a lot more than what we typically t- discuss on this podcast, like bird dogs is, you know, we have accidents in the bird dog world, you know, the occasional porcupine, the occasional even badger or something like that, that they'll get in a tangle with. Uh, but you know, more often than not, the biggest enemy to bird dogs is like the bird dogs themselves around barbed wire. What you guys contend with is y'all are chasing game with the intention to catch these game. And you guys are chasing mountain lions, bears, animals that can if they turn around and once they're cornered can do some serious damage. And so all houndsmen, you know, you guys have some stories of having to stitch up and repair some dogs. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, I mean, uh, a bear and lion, they can, they can either injure or kill a dog amazingly quickly. You know, luckily it's pretty rare, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty rare. I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't happen every hunt. It doesn't happen every 10th hunt, but it does happen. And it's something you just have to, to learn to accept and to deal with and, uh, you know, to, to take care of those dogs when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. My life would be way more expensive if Nate wasn't a vet. <laughs> like I've had some, I've had some train wrecks, so he's really bailed me out. Yeah, I was just about to go there. You know, it's what you know, the vet bill can get pretty high unless you are the vet or you're related to to a vet, right? Oh, Uh, yeah. They can get real expensive. (laughs) As a vet, Nathan, what would you say when when you're going out there and you know the target is something like a mountain lion, like you said, it can turn in an instant. What are you carrying as a first aid kit? You know, what 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 are the what are the staples, pun intended, in in the uh, the kit for you? Yeah. So, you know, my brother told me you were going to ask me this question. Um, I listen to podcasts. He doesn't. <laughs> okay. I got you. <laughs> so I went through about 30 of yours before this. So, uh, like, so you, you got the ask. scouting report down. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, to be honest, the, the only thing I carry with me is my knowledge. Okay. Um, I don't actually bring a first aid kit into the woods. Um, you know, the basic wound care, right? That's the, your big thing. And you apply pressure into the wounds you need, um, you know, and if you have to, you make do, right? You take off the sleeve of your shirt and create a pressure bandage or, uh, you know, flush the wounds out with your water bottle. Um, but I don't actually carry a first aid kit with me. I mean, yeah. like I say, it doesn't happen that often. So so I just don't carry one with me every time yeah. I go. And we're, you know, we most often we're hunting like wilderness or wilderness boundary. You know, we don't live in an area that has a lot of roads. So you're always going pretty deep. And a lot of times you got a heavy pack to start with. So it's, you you just kind of have to make do with what you got. Yeah. Well, let's jump into what you do have, like structure the hunt for me. 
talk to me about like start to finish. What are you doing with these dogs? You're loaded up, you're headed out to go hunt. Are you just driving around in fresh snow looking for tracks? You know, kind of talk to me about the entire setup and how you guys go about hunting these dogs. Yeah, you know, so I mean, if, if you know much about lion hunting, and for those of you who don't know much about it, there's kind of two styles, right? There's the snow hunters that, man, you get a fresh snow, you wake up early, you drive every single road you can in the country uh, looking for where a lion's crossed. I mean, it's a very effective method. Um, you you find that track and you know it's from that night. Um, the snow also tends to hold scent better, um, or it seems like it holds scent better, I guess I should say. Um, and so you find this fresh track, um, and then you kind of set your dogs down on it. I mean, and everybody does that a little different. Um, some people will set one or two old dogs that really know the ropes and let them trail off. Um, you know, the way I do it, I just dump the whole box, uh, <laughs> throw the collars on them and let them figure it out. You know, that's what I do now. You know, my younger years, I probably used to put my best dog on it and let him get out there a couple hundred yards before I'd feed the rest of them in. Um, but nowadays I just prefer to dump the box and let them figure it out. Heck that's their job. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then heck, you don't know, you could go anywhere from 200 yards to, you know, seven, eight miles and not catch the darn thing. Uh, even in the snow, you know, I mean, snow hunters, you know, your success goes up, but it's not a hundred percent, you know, it depends on where they go and oh. how fast it's melting. Yeah. In New Mexico, it can be worse because our snows don't last long. So once a snow tracks made in the snow and it melts, man, there's no tracking it after it, if it was made in the snow and it melts, it's gone. Like you're not trailing it. Like, <laughs> so that can be worse sometimes, but you know, kind of nowadays, uh, the, the way I like to hunt and, and some of this is cause I, you know, I got a job where I have to work in an office all day. So I like to get out and get some exercise. So we either uh, ride mules and just free cast the dogs and let them do their thing. Or we hike a lot too. Uh, you know, hunting rough country that, that it's hard to get a mule through uh, and just let the dogs free cast and see who picks up what. And then, then you always have the gamble of which way are you going? Um, you know, so you're looking for tracks, you're looking for scrapes. Um, you know, a, sc a scrape is where a lion's kind of made a scent mark. And so you can kind of tell the direction on that. But a lot of times on our dirt here, so you, you don't find a track. The dogs just go and either you end up with one or you don't. <laughs> and you just described just dumping out the whole box at one time. So so to me, I, I kind of appreciate just how simple you keep this. It's just like, you know what? I'm not carrying a, an emergency first aid kit. It's like, I'm not going to worry about trickling out these dogs. I'm out here to hunt and, and get outside and exercise. Let's just let them loose. How many dogs are we talking about in your pack now that you're you're letting loose at one time? So so currently I have four dogs that I house at my own house. Um, I have I have six. Our our, our brother in law has a couple, and, and our other brother and our dad. So anywhere from so, <laughs> four to fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're all jags or jag related like you said you have kind of mixed in a whole whole plethora of different breeds yeah you know i think we have like one walker one walker blue tick cross and then 
the rest of them are kind of a mixed up jack. Yeah, different jack, jag, cross. <laughs> See, and that's something that especially for for some of my listeners, you know, we primarily deal with bird dogs, but every now and then I have to I have to get my hound fix and branch out, but one thing that I really kind of appreciate in, in a lot of different ways uh, in, in the hound community is just how you guys are so utilitarian and, and functional. Y'all don't worry too much about pure blood or pure, you know, bread or whatever. It's like the qualities of the hunter and, and the individual dog is first and foremost to you guys. Like y'all don't care what kind of dog it is, as long as it has the tools that you guys are looking for. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and, and I mean, don't, don't kid yourself. There are some hound guys that are way into lineages. Yeah. Um, just not my style. You know, I'm more yeah. of that utilitarian. I, I get to hunt. I like to catch game and, yeah. you know, I like a certain style of dog that, and that, you know, I think we bred, I like the experimenting of breeding, like see what, you know, if you can improve it, you know, a lot of people think that what's been made is what's there, but I think you can breed a better dog for your country. So, I mean, we're, trying to so yeah and i mean it's one of those things again bird dog people you know i i appreciate the people that spend their lives dedicated to bettering a breed and and staying true to to the purpose of a breed and all that but there's also something to be said for how you guys do it to where it's like you know what we're out here to hunt we're out here to chase cats we're out here to chase bears whatever whatever y'all are chasing that day and it's just like, that's first and foremost, the, the job comes first in your eyes, ultimately. Yeah. You know, and like, again, you know, there's lion hunters who are strictly only lion hunters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's all they'll, they'll go for, you know, I mean, we we'll hunt anything really. I mean, I, I love <laughs> catching bears too, right? Like yeah. a good bear race is fun. I enjoy it. Um, I don't think those dogs are so dumb that they can't figure out how to catch a bear or how to catch a lion. Yeah. Um, you know, some are a little better at bears, some are a little better at lions, but you some, know, some dogs are good at both. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I go for is them dogs that are good, good at both and just good at catching game. Yeah. No, and it, and it, it makes sense. And now Nate, remind me, I think when we were talking a few weeks ago, you did say that you also run bird dogs as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, uh, my wife likes bird hunting a lot. And so we have a Llewellyn setter, a couple Llewellyn setters. Okay. Um, and I can't say that I did any of the training on them, right? Uh, <laughs> we bought a trained one. It's a good dog. <laughs> there you go. And so, like, I was just trying to make the correlation. So, like, that right there to where, you know, your hounds are your hounds. It's just like, hey, we, we have working dogs. But then when I bring up bird dogs, you immediately go to the individual breed. It's like, I got a Llewellyn setter. And it's, it, it, it's <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. The difference in cultures right there. Just just the mindset. It's, it fascinates me how there's that drastic of a difference. Hey, I also take that Llewellyn setter bear hunting sometimes too. So <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few bear pictures with that setter hanging out. <laughs> so so I'm definitely gonna need to see some of those pictures of the setter on a bear dog or on a bear. You know, the worst part about a setter when they see a bear, what do they do? They set. I'm like, <laughs> no, you need to bark and run, dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of repurposing a setter to become a bear dog, uh let's get back on the lion dog. So you dump out all your dogs, and that could be anywhere from, you know, four dogs to, you know, the whole family of dogs. Uh, talk to me 
how are they working? Like you said, you just dumped them out. Sometimes it can be a short track. Sometimes it can be a long track. You're on mules, you're on foot. Kind of talk to me about the the general or average style hunt with these dogs when you put them on the ground. Got some, you got some dog, different dogs have different positions, kind of, at least in our pack. You got some that are really like reliable strike dogs that really get out there and are looking for that track, like looking to start a track, you know? And so they'll cast out, I don't know, what do you think? Up to like four or 500 yards and maybe even farther. And that's the dog that you really rely on to get you started in the dirt with a track. And, you know, they'll, they'll let loose, uh, you know, putting that jag in there. A lot of them don't have a good mouth. Like they sound pretty wild. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they'll let loose with something. And then most of the dogs will then go to that dog because they, they've learned to trust each other. Yeah, and they'll start it. They'll all start it as a group. So, yeah, you know, so like those hounds, I mean, a lot of times they work together, right? But you definitely have lazy hounds and you have hard working hounds. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what it is about them, right? They all seem, some of them seem to have as good a nose as the other one, but for whatever reason, one likes to work harder. So you get that dog, and this is specifically for hunting on the dirt. Um, you'll get a dog that's ranging out there. And when it finds that track, then the other dogs, at least in our pack, will kick in and start helping and working hard as well. Yeah. But you got um, some that just like to trail, like they don't seem to like to hunt as hard. You know, they, once it, once you're on a trail, they're good. They're good, solid rock star dogs, but to start, to find one to start, you're not relying on that dog always. Well, and that that's one thing interviewing a few hounds people over the years, it's like, while you have a pack of dogs, each dog and the personalities and traits of that individual dog plays its own part. They have their own job. They have their own task. And so while somebody listening to this, they might hear like, oh, well, I want to go get a strike dog. I don't want to fool with those lazy dogs. Well, the strike dog, yeah, they might open it up on it, but that lazy dog that gets fired up, that might be the one that you need on the tree as well at the end of that track. Yeah, right. Like some tree and stay treed much better. Um, you know, and maybe that strike dog, he just doesn't push it fast enough to catch, you know, maybe it's that slightly hotter nosed dog that likes to get in there after it's going. And after the tempo is picked up, that's much quicker. That's your catch dog. Um, it takes a pack. Takes that's a pack. Our, that's yeah. our saying, anyways. Yep. <laughs> it takes well, a pack. <laughs> let, let's break down that pack for the for the listeners that maybe haven't listened to a hound episode or anything like that. Let's let's define some of these terms: your strike dog, your catch dog, your hot nose and cold nose. Kind of break down the the more common terms and terminology that you guys use. Yeah. So, like, you know, the, what I would call the strike dog or the more cold nose dog is the dog that typically is going to have a a better nose, be able to smell an older track, um, more likely to be out there hunting for that cold track, um, likes the act of trailing an animal, um, maybe could care less about catching an animal, but could likes the act of trailing it. Um, a medium nose dog, um, is the one that, you know, you're not going to be fooling around with a three day old track on. It's just not going to happen. They, they smell one, they, their nose in it is good, but maybe they're a little bit better about picking up scent in the air or on the brush. Um, 
And once it gets fresh enough, man, their tempo can be really fast. They can really move a track a lot uh-huh. faster than like a track for track dog, you know, and then a tree dog, you know, is one that's going to stay put at the tree and hammer away, you know, do that chop, chop bark. That's so classic of a tree dog. Just look at the animal and scream a hundred barks a minute um, <laughs> and won't shut up until you get there uh, then- versus those trail dogs. Sometimes look at it, bark four or five times and then back to trail and then come around and bark four or five times and then back to trail. You know, I think the other thing, the other really important one is like a, a dog that'll get you through a loss. I mean, there's just some dogs that are smarter. Like when something weird goes on with the track and you get a lose and you're, you're not progressing anymore. You have certain dogs that are better at figuring out what goes on there and are able to, I mean, even after it's been a total mess and you've had 15 dogs and two guys all through an area, they'll, you'll get this dog that will figure it out and be able to push it through these difficult sections. And that dog's really important on the dirt. Now, do you think that that dog, let's stick with that type of dog. Cause that's, that's one aspect that I, I don't think I've really, uh, uh, addressed on hound episodes is, do you think that the dogs that get you through that loss or pick a trail back up, do you think that's just from sheer determination and drive? Or do you think that after experience and running game for as long as some of these hounds do, do you think that they generally start tr- kind of figuring out the game and then that they just, you know, will start thinking kind of like a cat to, to solve it? I know, I know you can't really define that answer, but like, give me your thoughts on it. They definitely know where like a, either it's where scent holds better or where cat steps, they know where to go check. Like they know the microclimate of, you know, where to go look for a little bit of scent to get them through that hard part. And some of them are just, I don't know, they're smarter. (laughs) Some are smarter (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Are able to figure out difficult problems better. (laughs) I mean, for sure it's experience to some extent, like, you know, but also some dogs are better about like, Hey, I can't smell this damn thing here. I'm going to go check over here and check there. Like they know where to go look next. Um, I had this really great terrier named Cole, man. He was just a smarter, better catching dog than most dogs. That sucker was good. Yeah. He was amazing. You know, you uh, picked up a lion track, let's say in the dirt and all the dogs go one direction and Cole would go the opposite. You'd say, screw it. Let's go follow Cole because that's the way it went because he just was never wrong. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what it was. I mean, he's not a hound. He probably doesn't have the best nose in the world or he didn't have the best nose in the world. Um, But for whatever reason, that dog was always right. I mean, instance after instance after instance, like the other dogs get excited and do something and that dog would go the other way and be like, well, that's the way it went. Yeah. I'm sure as hell you'd end up with something in the tree. With one terrier. <laughs> he just could think like a cat. A whole missing pack of hounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so describe to me, like, all right, y'all, y'all did a good job painting the picture of the pack and, like, the individual roles and everything. And, and like you said, these tracks can drag on and drag on and drag on. Loss pickup, loss pickup. Let's get to the tree now. What are the dogs doing at the tree? What's the lion doing? Kind of walk me through your your average encounter with the lion when you finally get to the end of the trail. What are you doing as a hunter? What are your options as a hunter, like legally speaking, and, and all that fun stuff? Kind of break all that down for us. Yeah, I mean, so I would say 
your average lion, when you walk up to the tree, you know, maybe he's standing up, uh, kind of hissing at the dogs. Maybe he's laying down sleeping. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> once you get to the tree, right? Like sleeping is probably more common. Like they're usually they're pretty chill. If they're in a big tree, they don't, it, they're not really that bothered. Even even with the annoying dogs down below, yeah. just yelling. I mean, them. Like most of the time, they're like taking a nap up there, especially if it's taking you a while to get to the tree. Like if they've been there a couple hours, it's usually pretty relaxed. Like the cat's up there, it's just chilling, <laughs> doing cat stuff. <laughs> just not bothered by it. It's kind of like if no. I was on the ground, y'all wouldn't stand a chance. It's just, you know, kind of comfortable in its own skin. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's a. Like I said, it's uh the hunt part is with the dogs, right? That's the hunt is going and watching the dogs and watching the tempo of the dogs be excited. Um, that that's where the hunt is. Once you get to the tree, yeah, the first time you walk up, you're like, I just seen this. Uh, <laughs> I've to- just seen this uh, big lion. It's staring me down. It's uh, hissing at me. Like you're excited the first time you walk up there after you've been to a, a hundred trees, you know, you're still excited, but it's, uh, you know, that most likely everything's going to be relaxed and chill and, and kind of the hunt parts over, um, you know, you enjoy sitting there and watching the dogs and watching the puppies get to see it for the first time. And like their light bulb turn on and, and they start trend, um, you know, but as the hunter, like really the hunt is in that, that lead up to the catch, you know, once you've caught it, yeah, it's cool to walk up there and they're awesome to see, but, but the hunt parts over, I mean, you know, you've got it now it's the decision of how big is it? Do you want to shoot it? Um, you know, is it a female or a Tom, uh, and all those choices in New Mexico, you can, uh, you can shoot toms, you can shoot females. It's on a quota system. Um, you as the hunter are given two tags. So, I mean, you can you can make a lot of choices once you're there based on what the quota is doing. Gotcha. And it, is it kind of like anything else, like probably deer hunting is just like it's up to the hunter to where, yeah, I want that line or not. And, you know, you can decide to feel, fulfill that tag or not. Like, what are you looking for? Is it just size? That, that you're after or are there different characteristics that lion hunters kind of look for that you know is there something that's like the holy grail of a mountain lion a, a black one <laughs> <laughs> the, the panther <laughs> fair fair no, enough I mean, bas- basically it's just size right they're all the yeah. same color yeah relatively, I relatively. Mean. <laughs> there there's blue lions what we call a blue lion and there's red lions uh, and you're talking about kind of the underbelly coat. What does it look like? Yeah. Um, you know, but those are kind of your two choices. Uh, so it's basically size that you're going on. And shame. There's like a, you know, if you shoot a female and the quota is getting close, you know, you're going to take some shit from your fellow houndsmen or, you know, like, <laughs> you know, there's like a, you know, there's some aspect. I'm sure it's like shooting a hen, fen, a hen pheasant or something. I don't know. I don't hunt birds, but I assume there's like the same kind of thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Part, part of it is the ribbing and, and everything that everybody has. Everybody makes mistakes from time to time. It's how they own it and uh, whether they own it or not. But uh, right. That's true. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so 
when once you shoot, actually, what 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 are you guys carrying? If you decide to take a line, or you do you guys have a rifle, a handgun, pistol? What do y'all? What are you carrying? I was really lucky, and for uh, like our rehearsal dinner gift that my wife gave me uh, right before we got married, she gave me a little uh, forty-five Colt uh, carbine lever action rifle, and gotcha. that's what I carry most times. Super light. Uh, packs a good punch, knocks them right out of the tree. Uh, stone cold dead. You know, it's a, it's a good little gun. So that's what I use mostly. Gotcha. Yeah. I usually carry like a 357 pistol or something. I don't, but I'm usually not intending to shoot a lion or anything. I just am out hunting. So, you know, it's just for if things start going sideways, you know, something to save a dog's life or something like that. Yeah. So. And so how, how often do you, do the dogs and lions interact? You know, do they catch them on the trail? Will they come out of a tree? Do you shoot and they, maybe they get injured and come out of a tree? Kind of talk to me what it's like when, because it's, it's bound to happen. It's going to happen at some point. Talk to me about like the, how it All actually All of the above, happens. man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the worst is when you don't bring enough leashes because that's inevitable. Like you're never going to have as many leashes as you do dogs. Don't know why. <laughs> 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 just that's how it works it's like the leash, the leash conundrum but that's the worst and then like yeah if somebody shoots it it's it's usually not us who shoots it bad but if like one of our friends kind of doesn't make a great shot and you don't have all the dogs tied back it gets pretty hairy pretty quick um bad dogs get sucked into wounded lions and you have to jump in there and kind of judge for yourself how to rescue your dog best and how not to get shot if you don't have a gun and somebody else has a gun behind oh you and you're in there trying to pull dogs out. It gets pretty wild sometimes. You know, I mean, I've seen lions on the ground, like you bluff them up, right? Usually the dogs are somewhat afraid of them when they're standing their own ground. I mean, they'll get in, but that lion will whack them and uh, beat them off pretty good. And they're, they're less brave when you're not there. Right. Uh, when it starts to go South is when they realize that they're, their human is back there protecting them. They get a little braver. Um, you know, the, that cold dog I talked about, uh, he ended up getting killed. A lion came out of the tree uh, he's and a, he was halfway up tree the climber. tree. You know, he's oh, a tree climber. He, yeah. he hated them things. And <laughs> he was halfway up the tree barking at this thing. And I had just set my gun down. Um, cause trying it, to let her go. I was trying to let her go. It was just a little female. And, I'd walked halfway up there. And then next thing I know, she comes out of the tree, grabs him. They just both fall to the ground. By that point, you know, by the time he hit the dirt, she had killed him. But I couldn't believe it. You know, she just kamikazed into 15 dogs on the ground. Wow. Um, I was a little shocked. I mean, so, you know, anything can happen. I mean, it's just, it's part of hunting, you know, part of life. You got to accept it and and move on. Yeah. And, and talk to me how that is, because that that's going to be something that's very hard to, for the, the average listener, again, bird dog people to, to relate to, to where that not only accepting that that is part of it, but just how, how do you accept that? You know, especially after your first one, a lot of people, it's just like, man, you lose, lose a dog. And like you just talked about him a minute ago, he was, he was kind of your rock star. That's who you followed. If he, if he broke off, you followed him and just to lose him on a line that ultimately you just said you were going to let go. 
I mean, obviously that's rough. I don't, I don't need you to, you know, I'm not a therapist. I don't need you to break that down to me, but I need, I'm just trying to, trying to let these other people kind of relate to this is what I'm talking about. Houndsmen are just built different and it, and it's hard for us to relate to. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, that, that dog, uh, he loved it, right, man. He loved hunting. Uh, I remember what really turned him on. Shoot. He was maybe a year old at this point. We had caught a few lions. Um, but I ended up bluffing up this little female, uh, on a, on a cliff in Colorado. And he was sitting back there barking, barking, barking at her. And the second I walked up, you know, and said, good dog, good, get him, get her. You know, he, uh, he just piled on that thing and that lion just whacked him off this cliff. And I thought, Oh hell, he's dead. You know, his face planted into a pile of rocks below. Next thing I know, he's right back up there, even madder than before. <laughs> and so, you know, I knew it was a matter of time on that dog, uh, you know, before he got in a hairy situation. I mean, you know, he thinks he's 150 pounds and, you know, ultimately those dogs love it so much. Um, you know, you just feel bad if you don't take them hunting, you know, there's risk anything in life. That's fun is a little risky. Right. <laughs> and, and I think those dogs know that too. And, uh, you know, man, they're, they're born to hunt. They love to hunt. Who am I to deny them of that? And, you know, it's, uh, like I say, it's part of life. You, you, you know, you shed some tears and you move on. Yeah. Uh, you get the next bunch I, and you try and catch the next yeah. one. Yeah, hopefully you got some puppies out of them if it's a good dog, and that really helps. I, I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna lie; it's like yeah, to I know that, that their dog, yeah, that dog is living on, and you you're still hunting the blood out of those the, those same dogs is, you know, yeah. and, and, and it makes it easier, I think, for me, anyways. I, you know, it's like man, we got eight generations of these dogs still, and it all goes back, you know, goes back to his cold dog or goes back to a solo or you know one of these dogs, and to know that you still got some of that blood going through your pack is it it helps i think yeah and ultimately it's like you said i mean these dogs we breed them for a purpose that is their purpose to hunt they're on this planet to hunt there's nothing that they would rather do in life than to hunt that's their drive that's what that's literally what gets them ticking in the morning and gets them up and going and uh you know obviously while they didn't wake up wanting wanting to go out like that you know there's worse ways for a dog with that mentality and that drive to go out than in the actual act of doing it. Oh yeah. It's not many of them get to old age where you have to call your brother to come over to your house and put down an old dog. But you know, that I'd, I'd almost rather a dog kind of go out in a hunting situation than to have to make that decision because mm. they went out on their own terms that way. So, yeah. you know, I remember in that cold dog's eye when that lion was coming out of the tree you know, I mean, I knew what was about to happen. Seeing the excitement on his face, like he was, he was ready. He wanted to bite that thing to begin with. Yeah, he was going to rumble. <laughs> yeah, I was about so, to say, it doesn't no, sound I, like I he's the type of dog that turned face. around on him and ran away. It's just like, all right, you're coming down. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, he went head on. I'm like, you're dumb. That thing's 110 pounds. <laughs> well, he's also a terrier. So, you know, that <laughs> a hound might have turned tail. <laughs> oh, man. So t- talk to me about when you do shoot a line. Obviously, there's going to be some taxidermy uh, pieces. Now, f- forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, Ted. That's what you do, right? You're a taxidermist. Yep. yep, I'm a full-time taxidermist. So 
So when you're out in the field, somebody's looking at you and like, hey, is this a good line to take? And you're like, sure. Yeah, I mean, I no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm so busy. <laughs> yeah, I don't need another line in the freezer. <laughs> but, you know, my one piece of advice is if it's a female or a Tom and like this might be your only line, I think I would pass on the female. Like it is definitely – there's something about a Tom and a Tom mount and everything like a female just doesn't quite have the same vibe. Um, so, you know, yeah. I would really weigh that. Like, is that the one you really want to take? You know, that's like a, it's a personal decision, but you know, for me and, and for, as a taxidermist, you know, you don't, you, when you get someone's female back, a lot of times they're like, Oh, like, huh. Like I remember it being bigger, you know, yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, Man, it's a female from the Southwest. They're pretty little. <laughs> yeah. You dropped it off two years ago. And for, so for two yeah, years, you've exactly. just been, bit, the, the line keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You might as well have yeah. caught a big fish and it just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> oh yeah. They're worse than a fish story, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see that. So it, so if you're not getting a mound, if you're not getting a, a rug or skin or anything cool like that, uh, eating, I've always heard that mountain lion tastes really well it tastes like pork from from my understanding i've not had the the privilege of trying it yet i've had bobcat i haven't had mountain lion would you say it's similar it's similar yeah my advice is if you're gonna eat a mountain lion make sure it's a young female <laughs> yeah. i i cut the cats off or the balls off cats for a living and man they smell the same <laughs> <laughs> The big toms are often like very tough. Like the meat is not yeah. tender. Like a big tom is very stringy. Like they're not a, it's not going to cook up to be like this delicacy, but. Gotcha. So pretty much you're on one side of the spectrum or not. If it's a big tom, you get it mounted. If it's a small female, you just eat it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on that. I'm on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a case to be made for both sides of that. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm probably different than Ted on the shooting of them. I mean, heck, if you go and you have a great hunt and it was a fun, memorable deal and you don't get to do it every day or every year, hell, I'm not going to judge you if you want to shoot a female. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. Uh, you know, I mean, catching them's fun. Shooting them's fun. The dog work is the dog fun. works fun. It's just fun. You know, I think people get a little too judgy on each other sometimes <laughs> on these things. Oh, that's that's how everything goes. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're lion hunting or coon hunting or bird hunting. It doesn't matter. You always have people that that you know. Nope, I wouldn't have done that. Eh. In the heat of the moment, you probably would have. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that said, I've shot my share fair share of females <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well you got to fill the freezer up right <laughs> yeah hey it's getting hard to draw tags <laughs> oh yeah well so kind of talk to me about that if this is something that somebody listen actually wants to do uh do you guys take people out like do are you do you guys guide or w- kind of walk me through what's the realistic expectation if somebody decides i want to go mountain lion hunting new mexico how do they get a tag and do they have to go with an outfitter or something like that? You know, so we, d- we do not do any guiding, right? You have to have a, uh, outfitters license and, uh, you have to go through all the paperwork to do that. I mean, pretty much we just hunt ourselves for fun, yeah. um, with some of our friends. Um, 
to get a tag, I mean, it's easy. You go buy one over the counter and you can hunt any area or zone that's open. Um, I think if you're going to book a mountain lion hunt, right, there's two factors you need to consider. One, like how important is it just to kill a lion to you? Or do you really want to go hunt a lion like Southwest style hunting? Um, you know, snow hunting, you're much more effective. Um, dry ground Southwest hunting. I mean, there's outfitters, there's certain outfitters that are really good and have high success rates, but man, you're going to hunt for it and you may go home empty handed or you may not catch a big Tom, you know, in the right snow areas, the outfitters are pretty consistent at getting a good Tom. Um, so, you know, you have to have to figure out what you're looking for and both hunts are different and anybody that's doing it, I would recommend do both. Yeah. It's a good experience either way. The snow has, it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's a vibe, (laughs) you know, hunting snow is fun. I mean, it's a good time, but hunting on the dirt and riding mules for 10 days is also like, that's an experience, especially if you haven't, you know, ever done something like that. It's, you know, it's something to do. So are you guys camping out there? Are you guys bivouacking on on the Sometimes. mules? Are y'all carrying oh, yeah. your tents and stuff <laughs> like that or hammocks? Yeah, I mean, usually you're coming back to like a base camp at night, yeah. um, but, but you're riding big old circles through the country. And, uh, you know, so you, so you can put 15, 20 miles a day on a mule pretty easy uh, out cruising around. Well, I mean, I can think of worse experiences than, than traveling 15 or 20 miles on, on the back of a mule checking out New Mexico wilderness. I mean, that's that's something that the average person is never going to be able to say that they got to witness. For sure. Yeah, you know, and uh, it only gets tough when you're like, crap, I got to <laughs> leave my mule behind and go afoot. That's <laughs> when it gets bad. <laughs> then you're like, dang it. <laughs> get, get to walking. Or when your dogs get end up too far and you're like, I think we're spending the night out. Not exactly didn't bring a sleeping bag or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. so as we as we kind of start winding this down and wrapping it up, I mean, what what is is there anything that we missed on mountain lines? I mean, I know that we could talk all day long about puppy development and, and pack development and, and kind of get into the weeds on all that, but just staying at the kind of the the high end level that we've been on this whole episode, what uh what's something that you think that we should touch on or that we'd be remiss if we didn't hit on at least a little bit? You know, man, I think you've done a pretty good job of uh, covering most of it. I mean, like I said, there's the snow hunting, the dirt hunting, there's a lot of different aspects, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think you gotta, I think the one part that we didn't touch on, you know, the nice thing about bird hunting is usually those dogs aren't miles and miles away from you hound hunting you also got to be okay like well crap that dog got far enough that that i can't get him tonight um or so i gotta stay <laughs> tomorrow or or maybe i have to come back over there next week and pick this dog up um you know but you, but you, it takes a dedication it's a lifestyle um the guys that are really good at it i mean they uh they put their heart and soul into it uh the hunts are probably way too cheap uh, if anything, you know, when you're looking at spending the money on it, if, if you find an outfitter that wants to, to charge 5,000 bucks or whatever to hunt a lion, probably too cheap. Yeah. Really? With everything that goes into it, it sounds like, I mean, base camp and mules and just caring for the dogs and bringing them up and replacing dogs and all that. I mean, that's, uh, that's not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, it, 
it's kind of funny. I like in my business, you know, being a tax nervous, I see a bunch of, you know, I see a ton of hunters and lions get not nearly the respect that they deserve. Like a lot of guys kind of like, Oh, I'd never pay that to kill a lion. And I'm like, have you ever even seen a lion? And <laughs> most people haven't, <laughs> you know, and yeah. like, you know, and so it's, you know, when you really look at the cost of what it takes to be a lion hunter, it's, you know, it's, it is too cheap. I mean, and the respect, right? Like, man, you see a lot of deer hunters that are like, you need to kill every lion. I'm like, hell, I own lion dogs. The last thing I want to do is have less lions to chase. <laughs> so like, that's my main motivation for letting a female go. That's the, the yeah. next, uh, razor of kittens that way yeah. i have something to chase and something to go do and uh, and she brings toms around that's yeah. one thing you leave a female tom's gonna come check on her yeah that's an e- easy bait for you right there yep <laughs> and, and, and to reference what you said earlier in the podcast you know deer hunters will say that but that they need to remember like you said they're not under every bush you know they're out there but they're not around every single corner and that's why every time somebody on social media or the news or whatever has an encounter, that's why it is news because it's not common. Yeah, it's not common, right? And uh, you know, I think I think they just deserve a little more respect than the average deer hunter uh, gives them. I mean, awesome animal. We want them around forever. Um, you know, they're uh, they live a hard life, and hell, they deserve some respect. It's hard catching a deer. I'm yeah. sure with your every claws. week, yeah. <laughs> like they'll tell you. Yeah, no kidding. Twice a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a 140, 150 pound cat. I I can't wait to witness that with my own two eyes in person. Every time I see a good video of of hounds working one, and and the hunters get up close and personal with the lines, it just I have to stop and watch it because I have that respect for them, and I haven't seen them yet. I can't wait to the day that I do. Uh, but you know, may, maybe one day I'll have to link up with you guys and uh, go on these crazy little mule rides with you at some point. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. You Again. know, and uh, you know, I'm also maybe a little more simplistic. You know, you need to get a lion hunter who's like really uh, thinks about it all day, every day. <laughs> I mean, I I always say when people ask me, I just say, man, them dogs do what they do. I don't know what the <laughs> hell. One day they can smell one. One day they can't. I just enjoy it. Your your preparation for the hunt stops after feeding the dog and just letting them loose. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I, I love it. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, I know, uh, Ted, you said that you, you didn't need any more business, but did you want to plug your uh, taxidermy business at all? Uh, sure, if they want. I Winterwildlifestudio.com is, I kind of left social media, but... I still have a website, so they can find me on there. So. All right, I'll, I'll find that and I'll put that link in the in the show notes and everything. Nate, how about you? You need to plug anything before we get off here? Yeah, heck, if you don't want a hippie veterinarian, you can always come see me in Roswell, New Mexico, SeelaGrandeVetCenter <laughs> uh, Perfect, love it. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, kind of cluing us into the world of mountain lion hunters and uh yeah it's fascinating to me i can't wait till i get to experience it firsthand cool well thanks for having us we had a good time absolutely all right everybody hope you enjoyed that conversation talking about hound dogs and mountain lion hunting and stuff like that anybody that's really kind of listened to the podcast for a while 
ha- they understand that my first love for hunting dogs stem from hound dogs first and foremost. That's what started this whole thing for me. And I love kind of branching out and getting out of the bird dog world from time to time and checking back in on the hound dogs and the fur and stuff like that. It's it's just one of those things to me. It 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 captures my imagination just as much as the bird dogs stuff, really. I mean, it, it's the day-to-day lifestyle type of thing that kind of kept me from continuing on that route and doing a lot of hound dog stuff is whether you, if you're coon hunting, you're missing out on a lot of sleep. If you're doing mountain lions and bears, it's you, you got to have the dog power. You have to have the time, kind of what Nate and them, uh, these guys were talking about on this episode, to where it's not a quick go out and do this. You know, it's not like you're going out for a quick morning run or hunt on birds uh, like we, we're prone to do with our bird dogs, kind of fitting it in, winning where we can. You have to be dedicated. And, and I would argue it, it, it's at least one argument. You know, I, I can see it being a debate, but I, I could see the point being made that houndsmen, that they may be the most dedicated and passionate about their their sport and what they choose to chase because for the reasons that I just mentioned that I got out of it, houndsmen are just hardcore. They, they're different. They, they have a different bone in their body, a different drive. And for whatever they choose to chase, is it, if it's cats, if it's coons, if it's squirrels, if it's it, any of that, bears, it's like they live for that sport. And let's face it, we you heard a little bit about it on the, the episode today. Not all dogs come away from these hunts without a scrape. Some of them, you, but you, got, you have to get used to possibly losing your dog, doing what they love to do as well as what you love to do. For whatever reason that may be, you have to get comfortable with that because some of this stuff is dangerous. If you're hunting bears or hogs, uh, or mountain lions in this case, you can lose your 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 dogs, your your friends, your family. You can lose all that. And so, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of houndsmen, they can catch a lot of crap from the, the rest of the hunting dog community in terms of they don't care about their dogs as much as the others. I'm not going to say that they care more or care less about their dogs because it's kind of subjective. It's kind of hard to measure that and prove that either way. But I'm just going to say that they have to afford themselves a little bit of protection from getting too attached to their dogs uh, comparative to what we have to do or what we choose to do with our bird dogs. We we play a lot safer game. And so while we still have accidents and it's and it's heart-wrenching when they happen, whether it is a porcupine or a snake or, or whatever, fill in the blank, accidents happen in the bird dog world. Accidents happen exponentially more in the hound dog world, I, and it's just it comes from the nature of what they like to do and what they choose to do with their dogs. So, again, I'm not going to sit here and say they care more about their dogs or or whatever, but I am going to say that just their resolve and their dedication to their craft, their 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 actual sport of chasing whatever it is that they choose to do, it's relentless and they will sacrifice sleep. They will sacrifice time at work. They will sacrifice family time uh, just to go out and run their dogs. And very often when I'm with houndsmen, they're not even taking the game that they chase. They're truly out there for the adventure. 
for the experience of running dogs and uh it's admirable in a lot of ways and uh yeah it's just it's something that captivates my imagination and i like to go into that world from time to time and and kind of hear their perspective it's that their passion is uh it's not addicting but uh what's the right word that I'm, i'm looking for it's uh I can't even think of the word, honestly. It, it it transfers on to us. It transfers on to me when I hear their passion and, and everything. I catch it just like they have it, and it kind of renews and, and reinvigorates me with, with what I do with my dogs. And so hopefully you enjoyed the, the conversation. It's a different world. It's a different perspective. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed it for, for what it is. I know I did, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I'm going to continue to sprinkle in the hound dog and, and fur dog world as much as possible. But with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and move on to to housekeeping. Uh, Patreon. If you support this podcast, you want to see us continue uh, trying to branch out and create new content, help with the video side of things, you know, some of the exclusive bonus content I've been putting up on Patreon in the past few weeks. If you would like to do that, see that continue to grow and and continue to see us get better at that type of stuff, then please uh, consider signing up for Patreon. It's, I mean, $5 a month, as Bob Owens talks about, it's like buying us a beer. You know, if you like catching the podcast on a weekly basis, if you like hearing uh, the conversations and the lessons, if it provides any value to you, uh, just just consider buying us a beer. And it goes, it truly goes a long way in helping us continue to grow. And with that all being said, the, the videos and the uh, bonus content – Right now, at the time that this this episode drops and this outro comes out, the Grouse video, our first inaugural video, short movie, whatever the heck people call it, whatever you want to call it, uh, it is now accessible for Patreon patrons right now. So Patreon patrons for the Gundog Yourself podcast will have access to this video uh, that includes Nick Larson of the Birdshot podcast, as well as my buddies Jacob and Andrew from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. They, they have access to that for a few weeks before it becomes public. And uh, I am extremely proud of this video. I want to hear your your feedback on it. It's, it's different quality. It's not just GoPro. It's not just a, a detached camera. It incorporates action. It incorporates information. It shows habitat. It shows a lot of stuff. There's a lot of value and a lot of stuff that I think that the listener of our podcast can sink their teeth into, especially if they have any any desire to learn rough grouse hunting and what the habitat looks like. There's uh, it, It's up there. So again, if you have any interest in checking out that video today, go sign up. It's patreon.com forward slash gundoggy yourself. If that video doesn't appeal to you, if you don't have any interest in rough grouse hunting or, or, or anything like that, or just seeing, you know, my dog in action or, or what it is that we're kind of after trying to do. Um, I also have truck video breakdown talking about my storage system and drawer system on there. I'm throwing up the profile episodes on video if you're interested in with, uh, with that, as well as the BSing uh, with GDIY segment. That's the monthly bonus episode that I'm doing with Nick Larson at Birdshot. And we're just talking dogs. We're talking lifestyle. We're talking what's going on with us. But then we're also including clips from actual hunts now. Uh, we started this last month. We're going to continue this month. We're going to start putting up actual clips and footage from our actual hunts, and we're going to discuss them. 
you know, we're going to break it down. And not only that, we can run out of uh, videos on ourselves. If listeners have GoPros or if they have videos, training segments, stuff like that, throughout the year, we'll probably be asking for some of those. Y'all can submit those. We can discuss them if that's something that interests you. Again, we're we're really focusing in on trying to bring value to Patreon because you guys don't have to sign up. This podcast comes out free regardless whether you sign up for Patreon or not. It's it We're just trying to create more content and more valuable content for you guys that can be accessible through there and exclusive. And ultimately, it's a way of just saying thanks. Thanks again for buying us beer, essentially. Uh, all right, moving on. The the merch. Uh, we are winding down on the merch. The hats that we've had up there, they're pretty much gone. There's a handful left. I'm looking for ideas of what you guys want as listeners. Um, we, we've considered shirts. We've considered another run of hats. We're, we've considered a lot of different stuff. Uh, we don't have the money to be kind of getting anything and everything uh, all at one time. So, I'm at that stage where I'm starting to consider and and try and figure out what we're doing next. So if you have any feedback or something that you would like to see on that, please reach out and let us know. Pheasant Fest. that I'm actually attending Pheasant Fest for the first time this year. I'm excited to go check it out, see what it's all about. Never been there before. Me and the wife are going to go up there for a weekend, check it out, hopefully meet a lot of uh, listeners and a, and a lot of other people, maybe line up a, a bunch of cool episode ideas and, and topics. Uh, if you're going to be there and you'd like to meet or, or see each other, maybe hand off a sticker or two, whatever, be sure to reach out. Let me know what day you're going to be there. Maybe we can work something out. Um, I have no idea what this is. I've never been there before. I have no idea what my schedule is going to look like. But if it's something that you know we, we need to work out, by all means, reach out and let me know. Um, with that being said, really all that's left is let you guys know uh, I'm also doing extended outros on Patreon. What I'm going to start doing is on these outros, obviously it's kind of recapping the episode, doing the housekeeping. Don't get much of a chance to kind of just discuss what's on my brain, what's been going on with me and my dogs, uh, thoughts, debates, what, whatever. So I'm going to start doing what's called extended outros. I'm putting them up on Patreon. Each one's going to kind of have a different theme, different topic, kind of like what we always do. Uh, This week, I'm going to go on right after this, and I'm going to start talking about the pros and cons of fun runs. You know, what's good about it, what could potentially be a headache or an issue down the road if you do too many of them, what have you. So if that's any interest, again, consider joining Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. And with that being said, I'm going to hop off my soapbox. I'm going to stop asking for your support and everything. I just want to say thank you for hitting subscribe thank you for downloading thank you for hitting play if you share it appreciate it it means the world to us and we're excited to uh, check back next week thanks guys thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us and our partners on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. 
everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.